Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, we're going to look at the impact of Hurricane Ike on the sports world. Several schedule changes specifically with the NFL. We'll address that in segment three. And in segment four, Sports Sense, Carl Benson, he is the commissioner of the Western Athletic Conference, better known as the WAC. We'll talk about the success of some schools like Boise State and Fresno State in my conversation in segment four with Carl Benson. A couple of other notes, visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just visit sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach. Nathan, lots going on in the sports business world this week. An epically terrible week on the stock market. We'll talk about that. But, uh, you know, just uh, we've got the the Ryder Cup going on. No Tiger. We'll talk about that. Lots going on. Oh, busy week in the sports world. And NFL, quarterbacks, injuries, all sorts of stuff with the NFL. The NFL is Got to be pretty disappointed right now. Well, and I will say this. I watched the San Diego Chargers-Denver Broncos game last week. Rarely do you see officials outright cost a team the game. But Ed Hockley, who has always been a pretty good NFL official, he blew it. I mean, he literally blew it. He blew the whistle, and it was an inadvertent whistle. And it was obviously a fumble by Denver, and the referees got it wrong. And San Diego should have had the ball run out the clock, and they should have won the game, but that's not what happened. And this was a clear case where an official literally cost a team a game, and that's always bad. Yeah, and we've seen it in college football. We saw it with uh, University of Washington, BYU, where official basically blew the game as well for uh, the celebration. So we've talked about this a couple times in the last couple weeks. Big ratings for ESPN Monday Night Football. We'll share those with you coming up next. Sports Business Radio headlines. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. By the way, check out their blog. Uh, They've got a good blog. You can link to it from our blog now. Headline number one. It was an epically bad week for the stock market this week. I think my portfolio is uh, in the bottom of the Pacific Ocean somewhere. Uh, The sports world could also feel the effect 
you know, don't forget AIG, who's now being bailed out by the Fed, and Merrill Lynch, who's probably going to be purchased by Bank of America. They've been big spenders for sports-related sponsorships, Nathan. So, you know, every time the economy goes bad, and they're saying this is as bad as it's been since the 1930s, you've got to wonder how much money are people going to have for disposable income to go be entertained. But then also, most of these events are sponsored, especially you know, PGA golf tournaments, tennis tournaments, sponsored by banks, sponsored by financial institutions. These things are going down the tube. Well, we talk all the time on the show about how important it is for professional teams to have that corporate sponsorship to keep them afloat. And with uh, with deals like this, AIG, you just mentioned golf, is a huge part of AIG's sponsorship package. So it'll be interesting to see how much money they're going to spend on advertising and sponsorship moving forward. Yeah, I mean, 2008, most of the, the money's already been spent. It's already been collected. But 2009, that's when we really need to start watching. And is there anyone that's going to like just say, hey, i got to bail out for this year. But 2009 keep your, is the time to keep your eye on it. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you have to wonder, are some of these football teams now going to have, like, local sponsors that are that are getting a deal just to get some sponsorship dollars rolling in. Well, you see a bank like Barclays, which is going to be the sponsor probably of the new uh, New Jersey Nets home in Brooklyn. I wonder how many international banks, Royal Bank of Scotland, maybe some of these foreign banks are going to start sponsoring some venues and some events over here because a lot of the American ones aren't going to be able to afford it anymore. Well, America's half price right now, so uh, basically you could... We might have a lot of uh, foreign owners come uh, next year for some of these sports teams. Well, one thing I will say is this, is that there are going to be more millionaires made in the next decade based on what's happening right now because, like you just said, America is half price. So people are going to be able to get in at a really good rate with real estate, with investments and things like that. And you do think, you know, it usually happens where the market does turn around. So if you are able to afford to get into anything now, Probably not a bad time to do it, as they say, buy low and sell high. It's not getting much lower than it is right now, Nathan. Well, Brian, let's start looking for a sports team to purchase. Maybe 10, 15 years, uh, we'll be those millionaires. Yeah, I don't think the prices are that low yet. Our next headline, ESPN earned the largest audience in cable history for its coverage of the Philadelphia Eagles-Dallas Cowboys Monday night football game this past Monday. They drew a 13.3 cable rating and an 18.6 million viewers besting the previous cable record of a 13.0 cable rating and 17.5 million viewers for the Patriots-Ravens Monday night football game last December. So ESPN, we told you last week, did great with the Monday night football games they had last week. You remember there were two of them, but Eagles-Cowboys, epic ratings again, the highest-rated program in the history of cable TV. Well, and you have to wonder about the Terrell Owens factor for this because he constantly runs his mouth. He's playing his former team, playing against Donovan McNabb, and of course he's talking trash all week. So people are always intrigued by trash talking. They want to tune in and see what he does. I got to tell you something that surprises me about this. This is the highest rated cable TV event of all time. I can't believe that something like The series finales of The Sopranos or something like that isn't the highest rated cable uh, event of all time. This is. It just shows you how popular the NFL is. You have to remember, HBO and stuff like that, that's all pay-per-view stuff, and that's not on the basic tier. That's why. ESPN is across 
the nation on basic tier, and I think more people have access to it than they do. But HBO. I mean, you bring up a good point. But just based on buzz, like talking around the water cooler, a lot more people talked about the last ever episode of The Sopranos than they did about this last Monday's you know Cowboys Eagles matchup. Well, and it's a relatively meaningless game in the big scheme of things. It's not even near the end of the season, so that's the biggest surprise to me. Is it's early in the season. But I'll tell you what, it was a pretty darn good great game. game. I mean, it, you felt like you were watching, you know, Don Coriel and the Chargers of the past against, uh, you know, I don't know who. But I love to see high-scoring games. And between that game and the Chargers-Broncos game uh, and even the Seahawks-49ers uh, game, some really high-scoring games last weekend, I think very entertaining. Second-highest Monday night football first-half score in history. Yes, it was. Our next headline, Major League Baseball this week released a preliminary schedule for the 2009 season, which will begin April 5th and could last until November 5th. That's the latest in the history of Major League Baseball. This according to USA Today. The regular season won't end until October 4th, pushing back the start of the World Series until Wednesday, October 28th. And if that's if Major League Baseball, if they continue their current format, if there's a four-game sweep in the World Series, the season will last until at least November 1st. Nathan, you know, I'm all for playing fall ball, but now we're talking winter ball. It's not the fall classic. It's the winter classic. Well, yeah, and what's ridiculous about this is we just talked last week about long seasons for the NBA, for Major League Baseball. This is just elongating Already, what is ridiculous, the schedule that these Major League Baseball players play into November. There's not going to be a Mr. October anymore. There's now going to be a Mr. November. Well, it's freezing cold. I mean, that's one of the main problems is you, if you play this in a cold-weather city and it's not Los Angeles or Florida or somewhere like that in November, weather is going to be a serious factor in the games. I mean, Chicago. you may have snow outs. Yeah, snow outs. I mean, Boston, New York, Chicago, any of these cities where there's – uh, harsh weather during the winter, it's definitely a consideration. Our next headline, the 37th Ryder Cup is taking place at Valhalla Golf Club in Louisville, Kentucky this weekend. Europe won the last matchup in a rout. I think it was like 18 and a half to 9 and a half. That was back in 2006. NBC will have coverage of the event this weekend. But here's the question, Nathan. Is anyone going to watch? I don't think I'm going to watch. Tiger's not playing. And I am one of those people that I tend not to watch golf events where Tiger Woods is not playing. Well, I agree with you to some extent, but here's the difference with the Ryder Cup is that it's a team event now. You're rooting for the team. You're, you're not going Olympic just on me, right? Yeah, I'm going Olympic on you. You're not just rooting for Tiger Woods. You're rooting for the team. And as Rick Riley said on ESPN.com, they may play better. The U.S. may play better without Tiger because you've got him as the superstar and everybody else. Now they might be able to actually play as a team and win one. I don't think so. I think wow. Europe wins again. I think Europe has better camaraderie, better chemistry. I think Padraig Harrington is on fire this year. And Sergio Garcia plays like a man possessed in Ryder Cup. If he could play on the tour or in a major like he does in Ryder Cup, this guy would give Tiger, runs a, uh, Tiger Woods a run for his money. Well, I think I'm going to upset a lot of people by saying I think the Europeans play better in many sports as a team. You know, in America, it's all individual. Europeans, they get it. They play better as a team, but I'm still picking the U.S. for the Ryder Cup, and I will be watching. I hope U.S. wins, but if I was betting with my mind and not my heart, I'd have to go Europe. All right, our next headline, SportingNews.com is reporting that Clippers guard Baron Davis is leaving Reebok. 
for Chinese apparel company Li Ning. Davis becomes the second big-name point guard this offseason to leave a U.S. footwear maker for a Chinese company following Dallas Mavericks guard Jason Kidd's move from Nike to Peak, also a Chinese-based company. So this is interesting. You know, we've talked about Li Ning on this show before. When I was in China last year, I spent a lot of time talking about Li Ning and, and kind of researching them. And they are an emerging company. And Li Ning, we may recall, got to light the torch for the opening of the Olympics and got to, you know, go around the, the, the bird's nest there and do his thing. And stock went up a lot the following day. I'm telling you what, I was over in China with Baron Davis. He was there last year, and I think he saw firsthand and his representatives saw firsthand the effect. Look, you can either be a big fish in America with the Reeboks and the Nikes, or you can go over to China and have someone like Li Ning take you on. And if you get 10% of the market share over there, it's better than you know, 40 or 50% of the market share over here. Well, yeah, just the sheer numbers alone, the amount of people that you are going to be exposed to, the people that are going to be buying your stuff. And we know how big the NBA is getting right now in China. And this is a fantastic move for both Baron Davis and Jason Kidd. Well, and you see Baron Davis wasn't on the U.S. Olympic team, but let me tell you what, the NBA players in general are all going to benefit by the U.S. Olympic team playing as they did being as popular as they were, and winning gold in China because that's going to open the doors for guys like Baron Davis to do deals over there. Our final headline of the week, the U.S. House and Oversight and Government Reform Committee on Thursday held hearings on financing for the new Yankee Stadium, and Representative Dennis Kucinich from Ohio said he found waste and abuse of public dollars in funding for the ballpark. Kucinich also charged that New York officials misrepresented to the IRS the value of the property, helping them to get special deals from the federal government. No one from the city or the Yankees testified at the hearing. That might have been a good idea if someone from the Yankees or the city of New York was there. But you know what, Nathan, I hear this story and while it's bad, it's not earth-shattering to me. I think this happens all the time, but because it's the Yankees, because it's the new Yankee Stadium, because it's a really high-profile, over-a-billion-dollar venue, that's why it's being scrutinized. But obviously, it wasn't scrutinized early enough in the process. Well, yeah, and it just goes to show you how arrogant the Yankees organization is that they won't even show up to the court to discuss this. Well, and I'm sure unless someone filed... I mean, come on. Look, you can't tell me that there aren't backroom deals being done on not only this venue, but I'm sure the new Mets venue and the new uh, New Jersey Nets venue. And, you know, if there's going to be any kind of a deal done in L.A. for an NFL team, these things get done with smoke and mirrors. There are people that give you breaks on taxes. And, and I, again, I'm not saying it's right, but we shouldn't sit here and act shocked that it's happening. All right, coming up in our next segment, we are going to discuss Hurricane Ike and its impact on the Houston sports scene, specifically with the Houston Texans. And then after that, in our Sports Sense segment, we're going to talk to Carl Benson. He's the commissioner of the Western Athletic Conference. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000. The year before you bought the Mavericks, they were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. We are back in uh, some tragic news in the Texas area in recent weeks, specifically with Hurricane Ike, Nathan. And, you know, anytime hurricanes come through, we saw what Hurricane Katrina did in Louisiana and how it affected the New Orleans Saints the New Orleans Hornets, Louisiana State, uh, so many different sports teams and and teams that were displaced and teams that had to play games on the road when they should have been playing at home. And now we've seen that Reliant Stadium, home of the Houston Texans, sustained some serious damage. And, you know, the NFL last weekend had to make a call and they had to say, okay, are we going to move this game to a Monday night? Are we going to move this game to a different venue and make the Texans have to play on the road in Baltimore, or are we going to move, you know, how, how are we going to address this? And basically, I thought they got it right. And let me read to you what they did. So the Ravens-Texans game originally scheduled to be played in Houston last Sunday, and then they moved it to Monday, has been rescheduled now for Sunday, November 9th, and that's going to be at Reliant Stadium. The Bengals-Texans game that was to be played on November 9th has been moved to October 26th, which was the bye week for both clubs. So the Ravens were scheduled to play, or they were scheduled to get a bye on November 9th, but instead this past weekend now is going to count for the bye week for the Ravens and the Texans. I know that's all confusing, but I think the NFL got it right by not making the Texans play a game last weekend, either on a Monday, because they couldn't have played in Reliant Stadium, as it turns out, and making them go to Baltimore, I think, would have been the wrong move, because you got to remember, these people have families, and families come first, or they should come first, and I think making them go to Baltimore, costing them revenue at the gate, but then, most importantly, displacing from their, them from their families at that time would have been the wrong call. Well, and I'll tell you who got it wrong. NFL got it right. Major League Baseball got it wrong. The Houston Astros had to play the Chicago Cubs in Milwaukee, supposedly a neutral site, which we all know Milwaukee is much closer to Chicago, and Chicago has a much bigger fan base in Milwaukee. And it's the same deal for the Astros. I mean, here they are in a wild card hunt. I mean, neck and neck, 
and they get one hit in two games against the Chicago Cubs. Obviously, those players were thinking about their families. The same deal with the Texans. Major League Baseball and Bud Selig screwed this up royally. It was unfair to the Houston Astros. It was unfair to their families for them to make them do that. I thought it was ridiculous. And well, I'm a Cubs fan. I well, was thrilled they won. First of all, it's no surprise that Bud Selig would make a decision as insensitive as this one. I've always been a guy who thinks Bud Selig has made poor decisions. This is yet another one, if I may be so bold. The other thing is this. The Astros had won 14 of 15 games. They were coming back strong into the wild card chase. Hurricane Ike hits. This team, I don't know that they've won a game since that time. I mean, they have gone into a deep slide, not only in Milwaukee against the Cubs, but against Florida, and now they're pretty much out of it. So you make a good case that... The Astros players, their minds have not been on baseball. They've been elsewhere. And again, Major League Baseball, and specifically Bud Selig, got it totally wrong. Well, and let's think about this, too. The Astros are playing in Milwaukee, a neutral site for the both teams, apparently. But guess who the wild card chase is against? The Milwaukee Brewers. So you know that Brewers fans were in the stadium there booing and taunting the Astros. It might as well have been Wrigley Field because the Brewers fans were hoping they would lose. Well, yeah, I mean, there are some people that call it Wrigley North. And, um, yeah, it's a lot easier for the Cubs fans to get to Milwaukee than it was for Houston fans to get to Milwaukee. I would bet, unless there are Houston fans that live in Milwaukee, there were no Houston fans there. Because you couldn't get out of the airport because the Houston airport was closed. So if you're an Astros fan, unless you get in your car and you want to drive, you're not to flying Milwaukee. there. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're not, and that's not going to happen. No, it's, it's ridiculous, too. I mean, we just talked in headlines about the fact that Major League Baseball is going to be extending the, uh, the baseball season. Well, here's an opportunity to do something, you know, to do the right thing as far as extending the season so that the Astros could get a fair chance at making the playoffs. Now, I want to go back to the Houston Texans for a minute. Uh, you know, if Reliant Stadium is out of commission for a while, and it seems like there was some pretty substantial damage there, now you've got to look and say, okay, what happens to the Houston Texans' home schedule the rest of the way? One of the solutions has been that they play their games at Rice, at Rice Stadium. There's 70,000 seats there. It's far from an NFL-quality venue, but it does have 70,000 seats. And one of the things, if you're the owner, Bob McNair of the Texans, is, you know, obviously you want your home fans to be able to come to the home games, but you also have to realize that the way you make most of your money is the home gate, the attendance, the parking, the merchandise, the concessions. So just like the New Orleans Saints lost a ton of money when they couldn't play home games after Hurricane Katrina, now if you're Bob McNair... You're looking and saying, am I going to lose hundreds of millions of dollars now if I can't get my home gate and get all the, the revenues that come with it? That's going to be really important for the financial survival of the Houston Texans. Well, and let's be realistic here. The damage sustained in Houston was not nearly as bad as the damage that was sustained during Hurricane Katrina in Louisiana. So I think the Texans will be back a lot sooner than they were to the Superdome. But you're right. I mean, that is where they make the money. And I know some college venues don't even have the ability to serve beer at the venues, which is a a cash cow at a lot of these games. Right. Now, the other thing I thought was good uh, Drayton McLean, the owner of the Houston Astros, I think one of the best owners in Major League Baseball, he donated a million dollars 
from the Astros organization to help with the relief efforts. And, you know, I'm sure we're going to see other organizations step up and do that. But, you know, I thought it was a class move because, again, Major League Baseball, if I may say, screwed Drayton McLean and the Astros, made that move to Milwaukee, and this guy still takes a million dollars out of his own pocket after he lost some money from these home dates and puts it towards the relief efforts. That's a class act. Oh, absolutely. And and you're right. I mean, a million dollars, he's already probably out a couple million dollars, at, based, least. at least based on those games. They really should have played at a different date. It would it would have made a huge difference, I think, especially given the way the Astros had been playing. And now they're down the tubes. Now, I haven't been able to see anything. I haven't read anything about any other venues in Houston, like the Toyota Center where the Rockets play or anything like that. But, you know, it seems like there was a pretty decent amount of damage in the Houston area, and it'll be interesting to watch and see, you know, do we find more damage? Are there any other sports teams that can't play games or that are displaced because of Hurricane Ike? We will keep our eyes on that. All right, coming up in our next segment, we're going to talk to Carl Benson. He's the commissioner of the Western Athletic Conference, better known as the WAC. And Nathan, the WAC is a pretty darn good conference. It's not the SEC, it's not the Pac-10, it's not the ACC, but you know when you talk about excitement, first of all, that Boise State-Oklahoma game from the 2007 Fiesta Bowl, one of the best games of any sport that I've seen in recent years, and then Fresno State. They are the Cinderella story of probably the past 25 years. An unranked team goes all the way through and wins the College Baseball World Series. Some great stories coming out of the WAC, and we're going to talk to Carl Benson, the commissioner of the WAC. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Carl Benson. He's the commissioner of the Western Athletic Conference, uh, otherwise known as the WAC, one of the up-and-coming emerging conferences that uh, we may not hear as much about, but they are a power. Carl, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Brian, thanks so much for having me on. So, as I was just saying, when you, when most people think about the powerhouse conferences, they usually think of the SEC, the Pac-10, the ACC. But the WAC has had some tremendous success, especially in football and baseball over the past few years. The two most high-profile examples are Boise State's thrilling upset over Oklahoma in the 2007 Fiesta Bowl, and then Fresno State's miracle run to the 2008 College World Series title as an unranked team. 
What have these successes meant to your conference? Well, credibility, uh, I think, stands out, uh, Brian. And you, uh, you mentioned the WAC uh, as kind of being an unknown, but uh, we've also been around since 1962. The WAC was founded in 1962, and we've had uh, such a tremendous amount of membership change that uh, uh, if you ask the, the sports fan on the street today to name the, the, the WAC uh, schools, uh, more than likely they would, they would throw out a BYU or a Utah or an Air Force uh, that used to be in the WAC, and uh, we've kind of changed uh, changed the names and changed the uh, the colors of the uniforms, but uh, you know, but Boise State and Fresno State and Hawaii and, and University of Nevada uh, have certainly uh, brought a lot of attention. And you know, you mentioned the Fiesta Bowl; uh, it'll go down as one of the all-time uh, greatest uh, college events, maybe one of the greatest sporting events ever. And that uh, that kind of reestablished the WAC from a from a known brand standpoint. You know, you talk about the changes in your conference. You know, explain to our listeners, if you would, about what happens when a team or a university changes to a different conference, and then you've got a vacancy and you've got to fill the spot. How does that work? Well, it's uh, it's a little bit of a of a chess game, and uh, you know, from a historical standpoint, uh, back in in 1994, the WAC was a 10 team league, and uh, we we added six schools to go to 16, and expanded our boundaries into the state of Texas, and uh, really you know, from a from a, uh, a property standpoint, we may have uh, may have expanded uh, too much and became too large, and as a result, eight of those uh, ten schools elected to to spin off and form what is now the Mountain West Conference. And uh, those schools uh, were kind of historical in the WAC: BYU, Utah, to, to name two of them. And that left the WAC with eight schools, and uh, we had to uh, to kind of go out in the marketplace and identify schools that were were in our boundaries. And we we selected University of Nevada, Reno, and and selected Boise State as, as additions, and uh, we lost a couple more and added a couple more. And uh, so it's, um, you know, the inventory of schools, fortunately, uh, were available within our footprint, and, and we were able to kind of rebuild and, and redo the whack. Carl, what would you say are some of the biggest disadvantages that schools in your conference or your, just your league overall have when trying to compete with teams from the, the SEC or the Pac-10 bigger conferences? Well, the economics uh, are certainly uh, an issue, Brian, and uh, you know, we have we have some of the schools at, at the top of our league, of Fresno State, University of Hawaii, Boise State, that that have uh, similar budgets, maybe to the to the bottom of the you know, of the Pac-10. We like to to think that Fresno State uh, is comparable to a, an Oregon State or a Washington State in terms of budget, but uh, but when you put Fresno State up against uh, you know UCLA or Texas or Ohio State, uh, uh, the, the financial disparity is, is perhaps you know three or four to one. Uh, now, fortunately, the, the 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 competitive disparity has not uh, is not uh, not grown as much, but the financial gap is is significant, and that uh, has an effect on how much we can pay our coaches and uh, whether or not we can you know we can continue to to keep coaches, especially assistant coaches. That's uh, you lose assistant coaches to the Pac-10 because they're going to come in and, and pay them double what they might be uh, making in the WAC. Uh, so it's uh, the, the the financial piece is uh, is pretty significant. But again, you know, we've shown that we can compete with uh, with those teams too. When you talk about budgets, can you give us some ballpark? I mean, you mentioned that a Fresno State is maybe comparable to an Oregon State or a Washington State. What kind of budgets are we talking about? In the in the thirty thirty million dollar range. Um, and then, I mean, it goes. Ohio State, Texas today are, are claiming that 
that they're spending you know hundred million dollars a year on on intercollegiate athletics now some of that is debt service and, and facility costs but uh, but still just the, the day-to-day operations of, of football and if you just separate football out you know Fresno State may be uh, spending three to four million dollars a year on football uh, whereas Ohio State uh, you know is spending you know ten plus million dollars in football you know, you mentioned retaining coaches, and you talked about assistant coaches, but, you know, obviously the, the head coaches are the high-profile guys. And, you know, I look at conferences like the SEC and the Pac-10, it's a who's who, especially of college football coaches. And I look at a guy like Dan Hawkins, who left Boise State a few years ago to go to the University of Colorado. It's got to be a really tough challenge to keep those head coaches to using their, their school, the WAC school, as the stepping stone to get to the bigger conference. Well, that uh, that has been a has been an issue in that you uh, you have a Pat Hill that's been at Fresno State now for for ten years, and Fresno State has has been able to to compensate him to the point where he's making you know he's he's one of those million dollar coaches, and and yet uh, you know that used to be the, the the high number that you know once a, once a coach reached a million, it was kind of the the, the top, and and now you hear about a. a Nick Saban that, that perhaps is making four million, and um, you know, there's several that are you know the Bob Stoops uh, of the world too that uh, that are making the three to four million, and, and it seems like there's more and more that are now making you know two and three million. So, but we have uh, you know we have I think three coaches in the WAC, uh, Fresno State, Boise State, Hawaii that you know that are at the million dollar range, and and yet that's you know that. Uh, that's, that's about uh, as high as some of our schools can probably go. Carl, I wanted to ask you about a major TV deal that you recently signed with ESPN. Now, obviously, that's got to help your exposure. Can you tell us uh, more about that deal? Well, and it, uh, we just signed a, a nine-year, nine-year deal, seven-year extension on, on, a, on an existing two-year deal that, uh, that we have in place. And uh, the WAC was one of ESPN's original conferences back in the late 70s when when ESPN was launched and um, you know we uh, we grew with ESPN in the 70s and the 80s and the early 90s and then when this breakup happened that I mentioned uh, with the creation of the Mountain West uh, we went uh, three years without ESPN and our coaches recognized then uh, just how valuable and and powerful ESPN was and as as the the WAC kind of rebuilt itself we we got back uh, into the ESPN family and and we grew a little bit here and a little bit there, both from a financial standpoint and a programming, and and this um, you know this this deal that we just signed here earlier this month uh, uh, provides a, a financial package that uh, you know, that may be as much as four times what we are getting, and and from a programming standpoint, uh, you know, doubles and triples uh, some of our programming. So we're very we're very satisfied with uh, with uh, this ESPN deal. Uh, it uh, it kind of solidifies our our position with ESPN in the West, uh, the Mountain West Conference that I mentioned, left ESPN uh, three or four years ago to to go with a, a, a new network, the, the CSTV, which is now CBS College Sports. So uh, the WAC has, uh, I think, has the the advantage that, that we are with the you know the most powerful uh, sports uh, uh, broadcaster out there right now and. That uh, that is tremendous, both from a financial standpoint and the exposure, Brian. Are you able to give me a ballpark as to what the WAC makes from a TV deal like that? It doesn't have to be exact numbers, but just so our, our audience can have some sense. I mean, we see, you know, the SEC just did a big deal with CBS and ESPN themselves, and these are, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, it looks like. 
Well, and, and the SPN or the uh, the SEC deal actually was reported at uh, you know, 2.25 billion over 15 years. Uh, I wish I could say that that there was a couple of of those zeros that come uh, <laughs> to the whack. But, uh, uh, again, uh, you know, we're we're in the several million dollars a year deal, uh, Brian. But again, the disparity that I mentioned with the Big Ten and the SEC and the Pac-10 and and the Big 12 that that they're some of the reason that, that their schools can be spending seventy, eighty, ninety million dollars a year uh, on their athletic programs is because of the the revenue that they're receiving from their conference um, you know, rights uh, rights fees from their tele, you know, telecasters. And the SEC not only get, got that two point two five billion from from ESPN, uh, they got a comparable number from uh, from CBS. Uh, so they got a, a combination. Uh, the Big Ten launched their own network uh, a year ago. The Big Ten network, and and uh, they are they are receiving you know, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, from that deal. So, uh, you know, again, that uh, that financial disparity that we talked about uh, is uh, is a big part due to their television deals. Carl, what are some of the ways that you promote the WAC to try and keep up with the Joneses, so to speak? Well, our our best uh, our best promoters are are. Uh, are our teams when they have great success, like a Fresno State winning the College World Series or, or Boise State in the Fiesta Bowl, Hawaii last year for, for 12 straight weeks. Uh, you know, we, uh, we focused on the University of Hawaii as they, as they ran the table and finished the season undefeated and sent their quarterback to, to New York for the Heisman Trophy finalists and, um, you know, and then a, an opportunity to play New Year's Day in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, you know, we can... We can we can promote and talk about and market uh, our properties, but when they when they don't have the have the impact and they don't have the the pizzazz, it uh, it makes it hard to, to market a, a property that uh, that isn't successful. So our you know, our our teams are our uh, are our biggest uh, uh, biggest marketing opportunities. I'm joined by Carl Benson. He's the commissioner of the Western Athletic Conference, better known as the WAC. We've got just a few minutes left. Uh, I want to ask you a general question about the state of college athletics. You know, we have a lot of debate on this show about whether or not student-athletes are fairly compensated for their role in college athletics. I mean, you know, we're talking about billions of dollars with TV deals. We're talking about big money from bowl games. And granted, those are from the revenue-generating sports like football and basketball and not so much from softball and golf and tennis and lacrosse and and things like that. But, you know, I'm interested in getting your take. I've said that I think the system needs to change. I have a hard time with the Matt Leinerts, the Reggie Bushes, the Vince Youngs, the people like that that are selling all these jerseys and letting their image being used, and they're not getting any bit of compensation. What's your, I guess, take on compensating student-athletes, and would you change anything? Well, first of all, I think we have to we have to recognize the difference between college sports and, and professional sports, and and the NCA has has uh, made a a significant effort to, to draw that line, and I and I realize the general public may have a hard time accepting that when they see the the, you know, the billions of dollars that you just you know that you mentioned, uh, but uh, you know, those student athletes are receiving four and oftentimes five years of of college at uh, anywhere from. Twenty to forty to fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year. Uh, we know that a college degree uh, represents a, a higher higher earnings for the just the general population. Uh, but those, you know, you mentioned Reggie Bush and, and Matt Leinart and and others. Uh, 
Uh, I think they've been pretty well compensated because of their college uh, careers now as they as they play in the NFL, and and uh, they are they are being compensated now for you know the the four or five years that they spent at, at college. Uh, it'd be impossible, uh, Brian, to ever to ever change the model that would allow for for student athletes to to be to be paid uh, because to to pay a college football player and not pay a a women's uh, golfer or a women's tennis player, you know, we'd be looking at, um, you know, at, uh, at, at equity issues and, and, uh, and potential lawsuits, uh, you know, left and right. So I think we do have to, to maintain a clear line between uh, professional and, and college, and, and and allow those that are successful at the college level to to make their you know, make their millions once they they go to the NBA or the or the NFL. But it sounds like you may agree with me that that line is getting thinner and thinner every year that, uh, you know, again, when you have Ohio State, Florida, Texas spending $100 million on athletics, doesn't sound very uh, amateur-esque to me and to, uh, you know, just to the mainstream uh, fan. I think the line is blurred. And, and again, uh, um, you know, several years ago uh, we would cringe when when the, the, the media would refer to college sports as, as an enterprise. And yet today, uh, you know, I, I recall just in the last several weeks listening to Miles Brand, the president of the NCA, sure. talking about our enterprise. Uh, so I mean, you know, we've uh, we've succumbed, I guess, to acknowledging that it that it is big business, that it is it is an enterprise. But at the same time, you know, there is the you know the the higher education component and and the the academic component that we uh, that we want to maintain and. And again, there you know, for every high-profile Reggie Bush or Matt Leinart, you know, there's a there's a track and field student athlete or a soccer student athlete, uh, you know, that is spending just as much, just the same amount of time on his or her campus, you know, with his his or her sport. It's not getting the recognition. That's not getting the television that is that is doing it for the you know the love of the uh, love of the sport. No, you're exactly right, and I agree with that. Last question for you. Uh, Tom Hansen, the longtime commissioner of the Pac-10, is going to be stepping down next year. Your name has been mentioned with that job. How interested are you in becoming the next commissioner of the Pac-10 if they approached you? Well, Tom Hansen has had a, had a storied career, and, and uh, it was a legend in terms of, of college sports and, and college commissioners. And, um, you know, the kind of the natural progression of, of uh, you know going from whether it's the WAC or the Mountain West to the Pac-10 probably applies you know, at the commissioner level as well. So you know, if given an opportunity to uh, you know, to apply for that uh, that you know, that job, uh, I probably would. Well, I think you'd make a great uh, Pac-10 commissioner. I appreciate you taking the time to join me. Guests appearing during our Sports Sense segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Carl, best of luck in the future, continued success, and uh, let's stay in touch. Very good, Brian. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you, too. You've been listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is 
Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training monitoring and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, the PGA of America is giving each Ryder Cup participant $100,000 to the charity of his choice, $90,000 to the college of his choice, and $10,000 to the Folds of Honor Foundation to support the families of veterans. Nice move by the PGA. But, you know, again, Nathan, you got to remember, these guys are doing this for pride, the Europeans and the Americans. This is not... For prize money, there's no bonus for the winning team. This is it. This two hundred thousand dollars right here. Well, they don't need the money. Let's face it. You know, and I wonder where Phil Mickelson's going to donate that ninety thousand dollars. I would have to assume it's going to be Arizona State. But you know, we talked in segment one about the Tiger factor and the fact that Tiger Woods is not present at this event. Although he did say he was going to be watching on TV and he'd be available to any of the teammates that wanted to give him a call on his cell phone. What do you think, Mickelson going to give him a call? I don't see that happening. You know, the winner in this thing here is the charities, whoever gets $100,000. And you can split that up, too. It doesn't have to be a hundred grand to one charity. You can do like 25, 25, 25, and 25. And then the $90,000. So most of these guys are going to give money, 90 grand, to their alma mater. Golf so, program, maybe. Right. So, I mean, the winner is the charities and, and the universities that are representing these players. So it's a good story there. Lots of thank yous. Carl Benson. From the Western Athletic Conference, he's their commissioner. Good to catch up with him. I'll tell you, he might be the next commissioner of the Pac-10. We'll keep our eyes on that one. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. I'm Brian Berger. Have yourself a fantastic weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.